0: My oldest daughter, Frances, is a roller coaster junkie. Unlike my wife, Wendy, and I, and our youngest daughter, Chapel, who cannot really stomach the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns of roller coasters, when it comes to Frances, she becomes an animal. She, in the best sense of the word, loses her mind when she jumps on a roller coaster. And she can do it again and again and again. And it is exhilarating. And it is life giving, and it's a lot of fun for her. In the spiritual life, I have observed that a lot of folk have a roller coaster experience with God, likewise. But contrary to my daughter Frances, they do not have the testimony of fun, and certainly not the testimony that it is life giving. And the reason is simple. God does not want the Christian life in Christ and in spirit to be an up and a down and a victory and a failure and a revival and a backsliding the Lord has saved us in Christ to have an abundant life not a perfect life not a life without trouble but an abundant life where there is a richness of a supply within us a grace from God the Spirit of God, the teaching of God, the wisdom of God, the leading of God, where we can live a life of increase, a life of glory to glory to glory, instead of an up and a down and a mountaintop and a valley. We can, in spirit, be stable. We can be strong, even though our outward man is perishing. Our inward man can be renewed day by day. The question here is, who has the biggest influence in my spiritual life? If men or ministries or messages or movements have the biggest influence in my life, then surely I'm going to experience a roller coaster, a fluctuating spirituality that is circumstantial, environmental, um, people-driven, and even compartmentalized. If Christ is my Messiah, and I am yoked to Him, and I drink from His Spirit, and I live by Him, then I will live a life the way that He lived, by His Father's life. And the Lord had difficulties. Surely He had splinters in His hands. Surely He had calluses. Surely He stumped His toe. Surely He had misunderstandings. But inwardly He remained steadfast and grounded and on talking and walking terms with God. Who is your influence? Who is your Messiah? Who is your pastor? Who's the voice that has the biggest influence in your life? In Romans 8, Paul makes the most amazing statement in verse 14 when he says that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And it's this issue that I want to emphasize today. Is God leading you? Does he have the influence or is it just the affairs of this world and let's say sensational spirituality or is it the spirit of God? Are you a son directly yoked, a daughter directly yoked to Almighty God? that's the issue of our discussion today. I want to show you that if you live under the ministry of men, then you will experience a roller coaster like spirituality. There will be mountaintops. There will be valleys. You will have good days and you will have deplorable days. But that is not really what the new creation reality in Christ is all about. So come with me And let's see if we can yoke deeper and perhaps more thoroughly than ever before to the Spirit of God to walk humbly with our Lord, to incline our ear fully and completely, entirely to the Lord. I plead with you, brother and sister out there in the body of Christ. It's good to learn from men as you're listening to this podcast. Thank you for learning from me. It's good to read books, but in the end, when it comes to the influence towards your spiritual man, God wants to be the Messiah, the shepherd, the pastor, the leader, and you ought to be the one influenced most greatly by Almighty God Himself. Does the old Adam or the new Adam have predominance and influence in your life? Which one? The one that passes on sin or the one that passes on zoe life? Under whose ministry do you live your life? You cannot compartmentalize the ministry of Jesus Christ and say, okay, I'll be under Christ's ministry maybe for an hour this morning, maybe for a little Bible study here, maybe for a little meeting there, or a little camp here, or a little revival there. The whole idea of the New Testament is that we begin to live a decompartmentalized life. Back in the Old Testament, you had to go up to Jerusalem seven times a year, And every Sabbath day, once a week, you would have these celebrations and you would really connect with God and it was a compartmentalized spirituality. But in the New Testament, in a way, all of that is done away with. Even Jesus says to the woman at the well, she argues with him, should we come to Mount Gerizim to worship God or do we go to Jerusalem? Like what what city should I attend? What service should I attend? Where should I go to sacrifice here or sacrifice there? Because my ancestors say we should do it here. And the Jewish people say, and and she's fighting with him. And she's arguing and contending with him. Like, where do I go to check in to check the worship box of God? And you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus says, woman, wait, 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 wait. There's a new hour coming. And actually that hour is here. We're not going to worship in Mount Gerizim. Or Jerusalem, we're doing away, this new economy of God is doing away with situational spirituality, circumstantial spirituality, and it's doing away with location spirituality, the location of Gerizim in Samaria or the location of Jerusalem there in Judea. And the Lord is saying to that woman at the well, John 4, He said, Listen, the true worshipers are going to do away with all of this. And they're going to worship God in spirit and in truth, in spirit and in reality. And my Father is seeking those people to worship Him, people that walk with Him as a way of life. It's not just a check-in here and a checkbox there. It's a kind of a lifestyle. So again, back to my question. Do you and I have a lifestyle under the old Adam or the last Adam? Do we have a lifestyle under the influence of sin, Satan, and the world? Or do we have an influence from uh, the Spirit of God, the influence of life? If you're under the influence of the first Adam, you will experience an up and down kind of a spirituality and by and large a spirituality of decline if you're under the influence of Christ, the last Adam, you should experience a spirituality of steady increase. Even though you're suffering, even though life is difficult. Look here in Romans 8. Um, Look at verses 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed upon us. Even though the spiritual life is difficult, it is not entirely a red carpet. And even though in life we have ups and downs, and Paul would conclude Romans chapter 8 along these lines, he says, even though you're persecuted, and even though we suffer, and we, 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 we're under duress, and we have a sword at our neck, and even though powers and principalities come against us, he said there's nothing really that can separate you from the love of God. And you are in a steady upward increase of glory to glory to glory. So, beloved, this is not just some ideological spirituality. This is the way that Christ lived, this is the way that the apostles lived. And yes, they struggled, yes, they were persecuted even martyred for the Lord, but in their spirituality, in their fellowship with God, in their walk with God, they didn't have this up and down, up and down. So I want to explain to you quickly what goes on in the entire Bible with this up and down spirituality. And I want to show you that Paul's version of the spiritual life is in stark contrast to the experience of many of those within the Bible. Well, first, I wanna show you um, the positive side, if you will, and then the negative side of many of the stories and incidences in the Bible. The first man in the Bible that we have is the man Adam. And he was a man in the image of God and he was a man in the authority of God and he was to rule and to reign and to subdue and to represent God. So we have a a very positive expression of of God in this man. Of course this man begins to uh, fall and there ensues the decline. And there is this massive decline all the way to Genesis chapter 6 where you see a kind of a situation of mixture on the earth. Adam was a man that was supposed to be single towards God, totally immersed in the life of God. After all, there was the tree of life that was to saturate his entire being. But Adam began to fall. And then there's this constant decline, decline, decline. So that by the time you get to Genesis 6, man is no longer in the image of God. Man is flesh. Man has fallen to the uttermost. And there is this word that I want to use. Man is in mixture. It says there that the sons of God uh, cohabitated with the sons of men. And the Nephilim were created. A kind of a mixed race. That's a story for another day. But we have a single man. A man of God. In the image of God. And then there's this decline towards mixture. After Adam, there was not an increase. There was a decrease. Okay? Then all of a sudden, God reaches out and He finds a new man by the name of Noah. And Noah, again, is a man who finds grace and favor with God, and he is a man that is righteous. So in a way, God starts over with this man. But if you read and you'll see, after Noah, there again is a decline. There is not an increase from Noah's ministry. Noah's ministry decreases to Genesis chapter 11, where we have this Tower of Babel being erected. The Tower of Babel where it's, it's, it's about me and in a way we can say it's about idolatry. The ministry of Noah declines to a place of idolatry. And you know the story how God scatters uh, the builders of the Tower of Babel and um, spreads them out into the nations. And now God calls another man, and his name is Abraham. Of course, his name was Abram at the beginning. But God starts over with a new man, Abraham. And Abraham begins to have an influence and a ministry. But if you read very carefully, you'll see that with every succeeding generation after Abraham, things just keep on declining. Adam does not have the capacity to cause a life of increase for you. Noah does not have the capacity to cause a life of increase for you. And Abraham, this magnificent man, this God-fearing man, this righteous man who gets circumcised, whose name is changed, and is the father of the Jewish people, and then the father of the blessing to the nations, this man himself cannot give you the ministry, the influence of increase. If you read, you'll see that Abraham's children ends up in bondage. They end up in bondage in Egypt. Adam's children, in a way, ends up in mixture. Noah's children, if you will, ends up in idolatry. Abraham's children ends up in bondage and slavery. But God has a new man and his name is Moses. So here comes Moses. Moses delivers the uh, children of Israel. And for a minute there, it seems like they are on an increase. From Moses' ministry, from Moses' influence, there can be potentially glory to glory. So you read about an opening of the Red Sea, and you read about a cloud uh, by day and a pillar of fire, and you read about uh, water being made sweet, and you read about bread, and you read about water coming out of a rock, and the defeat of the Amalekites, and for a minute there in Exodus, you you conclude, wow, things are going great. Under Moses' ministry, there is an increase. But if you read just a little bit carefully, you'll see that the nation keeps complaining and griping, and mumbling, and they compare their current situation always to Egypt. And they would ask Moses repeatedly, Why did you bring us into this desert to die without food, to die of thirst, to die by the hand of our enemy? And you'll see, really, there is no increase under Moses' ministry, but a steady decline. So much so that when you come to the book of Numbers you'll see that they murmur against Moses and against God, and they basically say, God can't bring us into the promised land. That's just not possible. Forget that He delivered us from the Egyptians. He can't bring us into Canaan. And they said, basically, we're like grasshoppers. We just can't do this. God's view of the Israelites were that they were a kingdom and a nation of priests and kings. And their view of themselves is that they're grasshoppers, so you'll see in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, they, they, they mumble, they, they complain, and God allows them to be wandering for the next 40 years. They are in no man's land, they're in limbo for 40 years in a confused situation. And under Moses' ministry, it really ends up in confusion and wandering. So look at these men's influence. Adam ends up in mixture. Uh, Noah ends up in idolatry. Abraham ends up in bondage. Moses ends up in wandering. And let me tell you this. These are men of God. By many considered prophets. They spoke for God and they lived and they act for God. They were superheroes of the superheroes. But under a man's ministry, there could be no increase. And we'll continue in a minute. But suffice it to say, you'll see that if you yoke to people and people are your predominant influence, you will really not experience growth. These men's influence did not really grow people. Why? Because they were not the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not the Spirit. And they did not have the resurrection life to give to people. There's only one person that can set you on an increase. And it is God in Christ in Spirit. So it's not wrong to learn from an Adam or a Noah, Abraham or a Moses. But you and I cannot look at them... As our Messiah, as our source, uh, as our wisdom, as our example. The only person that can cause you to increase, say it with me, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, so after Moses, we have on the positive side, we have Joshua. God raises up a new man, Joshua. Joshua. And he brings the, the children of Israel into the promised land. And for a minute there, it looks like things are going great. They're settling the land and they, they conquer all the territories and every tribe uh, settles in and, and, and they begin to live now in this promised land. And, and for a minute there, in Joshua, it, it seems like under Joshua's influence and in ministry, there's an increase. But oh boy. You flip over to the book of Judges. All of a sudden, they take the customs of this tribe and the gods of that tribe, and they begin to mix and mingle and sort of compromise, if you will. By the end of Judges, you'll see in Judges 21, there's the statement that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Joshua's ministry declines into self-rightness. It started really strong with revival, going into the land. And it ends with people really in idolatry, self-idolatry. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this really is what's happening if you and I are under the ministry of men and movements, and we yoke to so-called messiahs. You'll see, um, if you study a little bit Israel's history, there within the first and second century, you'll see that there were many messiahs who came and said, follow me. And all of those people who yoked to those men, they all died. They were all butchered. Those men cannot set you on a trajectory of growth. That's why I would say to all of y'all, be very careful to make men your Messiah. They're going to cause you to jump over a cliff, and you're going to crash and burn. There's only one that's the Messiah. It's Jesus the Christ. So here, under Joshua's ministry, it ends in self-rightness. Okay, but then God raises up a man by the name of Samuel. A man who finally can hear God. A priest who finally is single towards God. And and he speaks the word of the Lord so beautifully. So you would expect under Samuel's ministry and under his priestly prophetic influence that the nation would, would grow. But then the nation elects this man by the name of Saul. And Saul is the king of Israel. But if you look at Saul's life, You'll see that it ends up again in self-rightness, self-ego, self-absorption. And in a nutshell, Saul represents the flesh. You end up in the flesh. Saul was a compromising man. He was supposed to obey God in a radical way and he just had a partial obedience. And he compromised his devotion and singularity to God. And in a nutshell... Saul represents the flesh. Great man, Samuel, and under his influence, we end up in the flesh. Then God brings another man, another kind of a hero, if you will, and his name is David. Do you guys see a pattern here? Um, I hope it's obvious by now. It's the same story over and over again. So here comes David, a man after God's own Oh, man! He's a prophet. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a king. He's a kind of a poet. He's a warrior. He's just the most amazing man that has ever lived. And under David, there is the kingship. And there is this monarchy. And, and there is this kingdom called Israel. And it's prospering. And of course, under his son. Uh, Solomon; it increases in glory. Even the Shekinah glory comes upon the temple that Solomon built. And for a minute there you think, wow, this is glorious. This is revival. Whoa, look at us. This is awesome. But if you read just a little bit carefully, you'll see that that very awesome monarchy, that kingdom splits and divides and it ends up in a schism. It's kind of interesting that that massive empire of Israel, that prosperous empire of Solomon, ends up in division. And you'll see this happens to you and I when we're under the ministry of men and their messages and their methods and their movements. I'm sorry to say, it often ends up in the flesh. It often ends up in schism, sectarianism and division. Something that is strongly repudiated within the New Testament. The point that I'm trying to make is, there's only one person that you and I should abide in. Only one person we should be yoked to. And it is Christ in me. is the only person that can cause an upward growth in your life. You know, after the kingdom divides, there were all these prophets... Um, that prophesied and there was the temporary restoration of Zerubbabel's temple and the, trying to reinstate the worship of God. But under all of these prophets, you'll notice that it declined to where God no longer spoke, in a way intervened. Malachi is our last book in the Old Testament, our last prophecy, if you will. And it's more or less 400 years before Christ. And for the next 400 years until the birth of Christ, um, it's pretty much quiet. God does not speak a lot. God is absent seemingly. He's there. There are some things happening. But by and large, it's as though God is just on vacation. He's not speaking through prophets anymore because why even bother to speak? People are not listening. And so you'll see, especially even when you read in Malachi's um, prophecy, you'll see that Malachi accuses the Jewish people of being hard hearted. And under all of the ministry of the prophets, it's calling the people back to God and repent, come. And the prophets who speak so much restoration and so much hope that if you repent and the glory of God can come back. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine what's going to happen? It's as though the people never repented, never listened. And Malachi sums it up. They had hard hearts. And Jesus even would come and speak in um, Matthew 11 and in Matthew chapter 13, of people's ears who are heavy, whose hearts are shut down and hardened. And so you have this condition of hardness of, of heart. And so I just want you for a minute to consider the influence of man. Man is going to cause you to become an idolater. A person that is mixed up with this world. The ministry and the influence of sin is going to cause you to be self-righteous, in the flesh, schismatic, hard-hearted. The ministry of Christ, on the other hand, is supposed to cause you to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Have a consecration. Not the flesh, but the spirit. Not idolatry, but worship. So everything that went awry in the Old Testament, everything that was in decline in the Old Testament, is supposed to be under the ministry of Christ, corrected from one degree of glory to another, to another, to another. In Acts chapter 3, Peter prophesies, and he says, The heavens is holding Christ until the times of the restoration of all things. Christ is not coming back until things are restored, increased, corrected, glory to glory. And this is what the life in the Spirit is all about. Life in the Spirit is is, is growing me, causing me to bear fruit. And only under the ministry of Christ can I reign in life. Only under the ministry of Christ can I be restored to the image of Christ, the authority of Christ, the fruit of Christ. So in closing, as you evaluate your spiritual life and you can be sober about it, are you a mixed up person, a wandering, confused person, a self-right, idolatrous person, a person of schism? What kind of a spirituality really summarizes your walk with God? That is proof that you're under the ministry of Adam, or Noah, or Abraham, or let's say a Moses. The ministry of men. Under the ministry of Christ, grace comes into us. And we don't have this roller coaster up and down. Oh no, life is very difficult, don't get me wrong. We suffer and we may even be led like a lamb to the slaughter. But there is systematically, ongoingly, a weight of God being built within me. We bear fruit. And we bear much fruit. And that seed of God in me, that is the life of God, consumes my mind, my emotions. It begins to consume my will. My life is for God. My body is for God. And I bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. In the New Testament, every single letter that is written just about, notably the letter to the Corinthians, the letter to the Galatians, um, especially Colossians, uh, the letter to the Hebrews, the first letter of John, the letter of Jude, and most notably the letter, the Apocalypse, the Revelation. All of those letters, the vast majority of your New Testament is contending for you to come free from all of these things. Because even under the ministry of Christ, people saw Christ just as a kind of a salvation and then went back to Paul and Apollos and to Peter And you'll notice even in the New Testament there's a steady decline, a steady downward spiral, an up and a down, and an up and a down. And so every letter in the New Testament is just about written to bring people back to Christ, bring them back to the Spirit, bring them back to the Lord within them that is their hope of glory. If you go to the book of Revelation, there are seven churches. Every one of those congregations were in a steady decline not in an upward growth. And Jesus Himself, who writes those letters through the Apostle John, or the seer as we call him, Jesus Himself says, hey, this is where you're going astray. And you'll see Christians, like the Jewish people of old times, we are just as prone to attach to this and attach to that. And the fruit thereof is a constant decline. So my question is, who really is your minister? Who really is your pastor, your shepherd, the voice, the leader, the wisdom, the influence? Is it wrong to listen to men? No, I appreciate y'all listening to me. Thank you. But don't you dare quote me. Don't you dare yoke to me. Because I cannot cause resurrection life to grow in you. Because I don't have that. In my nature. That is only of Christ. And so Matthew 11 would say, Come to me and take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Yoke to me. And in the book of Revelation, those churches began to yoke again to the things of this world. So, beloved, be very careful which Adam, which Abraham, which Moses, or which Christ is the predominant influence in your life just give it time and you'll see if Christ is in you there will be glory to glory to glory you're not gonna burn out you don't have confusion and wandering. but you'll see if religion is in you or circumstantial spirituality then you'll see your spirituality is not gonna stay the course It's going to decline. And then you need another man and another revival, etc., etc., etc. The life of God is not just so that I could go to heaven one day. The life of God has come into me now to saturate me so that I can live under the resurrection power that indestructible life, that uncreated life now, so that every part of my being can become transformed, morph into the image of Christ. And yes, in time, my body itself will die. It will expire. But the Lord said, I am the resurrection and the life. And any person who believes into Him, Even though He dies physically, yet He will live. You and I will experience that life, even growing and resurrecting our mortal human body. So, beloved, there you have it. Which life is in you? The natural life only? The religious life only? The life of men, ministry and movements? Or the life of the Messiah, the King, the Lord, Jesus, the... Amen.